Go ahead and turn your Bibles. That is Matthew 3. You're only going to be in one space today, so no reason for you not to have it open. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles around you. Look on with the person next to you. This is a phenomenal story um, that's easy to comprehend. So I want you in the words. I want you to see the Word of God more than just listen to, to what I have for you. So turn to Matthew 3. You know, I was listening to the singing, and you know, when you sit on the front row, I told you this before, it's the best place to sit because you don't know how many people are behind you. You don't know if there's 10 or 10,000. And so you sing as loud as you want and with no reservation. And I was just singing and not being here last week. And I told you this a million times. I am so thankful to be your pastor. Um, I love this place, and I'm very, very, my, my heart just beats for God's church um, and this opportunity, and just I'm very thankful that you guys have allowed me to do this with you each and every day and each and every Sunday. Listen to Matthew 3. This is the baptism of Jesus. If you've been with us as a church, you've heard it read every week for like the last month and a half. It says in chapter 3, verses 13, then Jesus came from Galilee. And he came from Galilee to John and at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but you are now coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, aligning upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well. Please bow our heads and pray for our time this morning. God, we thank you for today. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you... Um, on my behalf of just giving me the opportunity to come back to this church after being gone a week. And Lord, and, and as strange as it sounds, as I know as so many people are hurting and so many people are struggling and so many people are edgy and so many people are scared and fearful and rationalizing. These are hard times, as Brother David said here, but I am thankful. Like, I'm thankful that the, the virus went through my family at the time that it did and because I want to be consistent at this church. We are living in a difficult time and a spread out culture and a very confused, flaky people. And there are going to be times where we run from the church out of fear. There's going to be times where we don't know what to do out of confusion. And there's going to be time we can't balance faith and wisdom. It's going to be a hard time for the, the people, just the church. And I want the church consistent. Like, I want the church strong. Like, Monday through Saturday might be confusing, but when people walk through these doors here at Eastview, man, I want them to feel the consistent spirit that is true in their life, Lord. I want that so desperately. I want to be a part of that. So keep our Sunday school teachers strong. Keep our praise team strong. Our deacons and staff strong. Our youth workers strong. Keep us focused. This is ministry. 
This is ministry. And so, Lord, I pray in these seasons that are difficult in church history that you keep your church strong. Lord, I pray that we remove all distractions. And as we talk about difficult times, this is a word, this is a story, this is a truth that is so helpful to us. Give us the comprehension, the spirit, the focus to dive into a story we might have heard many times, but to apply to our life that we can't hear enough. In your precious name, the church says, amen. Now, as I said, if, if you've been a part of this church, um, you've heard that verse many times. Um, there's no water back there today. We've screwed up the wood back. There's no water, no baptism today. But we did a baptism for about five to six weeks straight. And so I read you Matthew 3, week in and week out. Every time we have a baptism, there's no greater example to follow than the baptism of Christ, right? So we read it in those waters every week. So that led me to a conversation that I was blessed to have with the first adult. We had Landon get baptized as a young person. And then we had Cheryl Todd get baptized the week after. And that led me to a wonderful conversation that I pray that you have all had at some point in your journey with your pastor or someone who knows the Lord or loves you. Cheryl reached out to me. She was baptized, what, about a month ago, a month or so ago? professed Christ, was saved by God's grace, was baptized, we're praying through membership, talking with leaders, and she reaches out to me and asks a wonderful question. What now? Like, what do I do now? Now that I've come out of those waters, like, what does chapter two look like? Right? Like, I've read chapter one, I've completed level one, like, where do I go? Do I start with Genesis one? Like, do I need to read this whole thing? And if I do, how long do I got? What do I need to memorize? What do I need to expect? Where do I begin? Where does it end? What do I do now? Right? What does Christianity, hang on it, what does Christianity look like after the water? Which brings us to chapter 4. We literally see the baptism of Jesus, and I want you to hang on it. The reality, the reality of after the fireworks go off and you leave the altar, right? What does following Jesus look like in your life? What to expect, where to go? says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, period, next word, then. There wasn't another story, there wasn't another chapter, it wasn't another moment in time. It says, period, next word, then. Then what? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted By the devil. Now, before we jump in here, it's very important that not only Cheryl, not only Caitlin, not only Landon, but all of us can differentiate what temptation looks like versus testing. Brad Douglas and I were talking about that during Sunday school. Temptation is from the enemy, temptation is to tear down. Temptation, it says in Scripture, is not of God. 
says your Lord and Savior does not tempt believers. What it says is this temptation is to pull away from Christ. It is to distort. It is to confuse. It is to lie. It is to destroy. We see this in the garden. When you look at Adam and Eve, when he came to Eve, he did not mean to build Eve up. He did not prepare anything for Eve. He was not trying to grow faith. What was the enemy trying to do with Eve? He was trying to pull her away from God. Now you look at testing. Testing is from God. It's not from the enemy. Testing is the opposite of that. Testing is to build up. Testing is to strengthen. Testing is to prepare. It is to grow. It is to bring closer to God. Even in an educational standpoint, when you look at a test, when you look at a pop quiz, that you walk into the room, if you're anything like me, you remember these moments. Pop quizzes weren't friends of mine. And so when the teacher said, you got a pop quiz and I was not ready for and you made a 20 or a 30 or a 40, that is not to destroy you. That is to raise to your attention the deficits that you need to know more about so you can grow smarter. So you can actually be ready. So you can be prepared for another test. You look at Abraham and Isaac. A very difficult time. He leads Abraham up the mountain to sacrifice his son, to grow his faith, his dependence, and his trust on the Lord because he had great things in store For Abraham, what was happening with Eve was very different than what was happening with Abraham. So this is the enemy and his attempt, his path, his plan with Jesus. This is exactly what the enemy is doing with you and I. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, And when he had fasted, being Jesus, when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Afterwards, rightfully so, Jesus being all God and all man, guess what? He was hungry. And when he, the tempter came to him, the tempter, tempter said, if, I like that word if, if, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now there's many different sermons in those two verses. It gives us the picture that the enemy, like a lion that Peter would say, is seeking to devour who might be weak, who might be in need, where there might be a problem. He prowls like a lion. He looks for the perfect time to pounce. There's a sermon here. Where does the enemy come? When does he come? Does he come on day one? Does he come on day two? Does he come on day 10? Does he come on day 20? No, he comes at day 40. He comes at the specific, right, perfect moment where he thinks that he has the greatest chance to impact Jesus. The enemy tempts Jesus in what is currently relevant with food. He knows what Jesus needs. He knows what's on Jesus' mind. He knows his problem at the moment that he is hungry, so he tempts him with food. Think of your own life, church. The enemy knows exactly what string to pull. So my wife and I, I was thinking about this moment as I pictured Jesus in this, this scenario. My wife and I, we don't really ever watch TV. You won't ever come in my house and like the TV's on or I can drive 15 hours without the radio just staring endlessly through the dashboard. I don't like a lot of noise and sound. So we don't watch a lot of TV. But there are a few shows that we like. 
I like cooking shows because I don't know how to cook and I'd like to learn how to do so. I don't know how to cook, but I, thought I like watching Grill Master and stuff of that nature. And we both love watching Survivor shows. Like if the actual actor has any chance of dying, we're in, right? And so my wife and I really got into this one show called Alone. Any of you guys seen Alone? It's an awesome show, okay? There's a chance of dying, so we're in. And usually on these Survivor shows, it's usually like, hey, you're going to have very little clothes and very little food, and you got seven days in the Amazon. Let's see what happens, right? You're with a group of eight people you don't like, okay? And you watch it that way. Alone's different. Alone, they, they close you up. They give you a knife. They give you a bow. They give you a tent, and they go, let's see how long you can last, right? So it might be 20 days. It might be 30 days. It might be 300 days. No one knows, and listen, it is a survivor show. These people know a lot more. It's not like me and Brandon Kilburn are going out to the Arctic and seeing what happens. These guys are experts. But more than a survivor show, it's really just who can suffer the longest, right? Who can starve longer than the other guy? Because it ends up getting into a food game. After 20 days, 30 days, after all the rabbits have gone, all the fish have been caught, the people are just trying to figure out a way of how do I eat to survive, right? So this is what happens. If you've ever seen the show, it never happens on week one. It never happens on week two. It's always like eight months into the game. There's only like three participants left. And all of a sudden, they're starving. They're crying every night in front of the camera. I want to be home. I miss my kids. I'm dying out here. I've lost half my body fat. And as they're walking the shore, what do they find? They find a dead fish that's washed up on shore, right? They'll find a bird that just fell out of the sky, not of old age. Now, this isn't good news. Because if you're a survivalist and you know anything about cooking food and whatnot, most of these animals are not dying of old age. It's some kind of parasite or something that is not going to be good for them to eat. So I've had a big steak dinner and I'm in my pajamas watching this with my wife going, don't eat the fish. But they, they are in a much different situation. They haven't eaten for a month and they are starving and here is this meal just gifted to them. Just cook it good. Try to scrape away any of the things that you might not want to eat. And you always see them. If you've ever watched the show, they always look at it and go, I know this isn't good, but I'm hungry, right? And you're like, oh man, don't eat the bird. The enemy knows that Jesus is starving. And the enemy knows that Jesus knows that it's not good to eat what he's putting in front of him. But this is his best string to pull. He is coming to Jesus, knowing the weakness, knowing the situation, knowing the perfect scenario and string to pull. He comes to me and he says, if you are the son of God. Jesus knows that he's the son of God and the enemy knows that Jesus is the son of God. But look at his vocabulary. If. If, if you're the son of God, well, Jesus, if you're so hungry, command these stones to become bread. Now, I want you to take a second. I want you to see because it applies to your life. It's very important. I want you to see what the enemy's after. Because the enemy does not care about food. The enemy, this isn't alone. 
The enemy's not trying to, to derail Jesus so he doesn't complete the task, to throw him off his goal. He's not trying any of those things. He does not care. What is the enemy after? He's after his perfection. He's after his trust. He's after his faith. He's after his obedience. He's after his closeness with God. Food and hunger is just a path to get there. They're just body shots. Hear me. They're just body shots. Literally. The food, the marriage, the money, the job, the relationship, the kids, they're just schemes and strategies to get to where the enemy wants to go. Now hear me. What the enemy did with Eve is what the enemy did with Jesus. And what the enemy did with Jesus is what the enemy does with you. Understand the scheme. Understand the string. Understand the plan the enemy has in your life. I love the sport of boxing. I boxed in high school, boxed in college, and I love just strategy behind boxing. For some of you guys that, that follow the sport or you don't follow the sport, under much people's understanding, boxing is not just, hey, let's get two guys up there and put some gloves on and let them have at it. It's not like the strongest man wins. The person who usually wins in boxing is the man who has the greater plan. This is not like back alley bar fighting. So you look at a situation and you study. You study your opponent. You study the situation. You get your mind right, your speed right, your stamina, your endurance right, and then you try to come up with the best plan. Well, I had been in this for a few years I was nothing special in boxing. I had won just as many as I had lost. But there was this moment where this young guy came in, and this young guy came in, and he was talented. He was gifted. He walked into the gym doors with more talent than I had four years into the game. And so he had destroyed all of these people, and now it was your pastor's turn to get destroyed. And so he signed up. It was my turn. So I signed up. I had three weeks to get ready for this fight. Got my mind right, my stamina right. I had ran. I had done all of those things. My weight was ready. All of those, I had to have a plan to how to beat this guy who was obviously better than I was. So I looked at him. I said, okay, I'm not going to win a decision, meaning I'm not going to win more rounds than I lose. I'm not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with this individual. He's going to get to me there. He's going to beat me there. So I have to do something strategic that he might not be ready for. So me and my coach at the time said, hey, listen, you're not going to be able to go in there and just waylay his face. He's not going to give that to him. You're going to have to go for the body. Because how it works in boxing, you can only protect one or two things. You can protect your face or you can protect your stomach. And you might be able to take 100 shots to the stomach. You can't take 100 shots to the face. I don't care who you are. So most boxers, they stand like this. So I can jab, I can power punch, but I'm not going to let you hit my face. So this is what I did. I dedicated as many rounds as I could to lose, but take as many shots to the body as I could give. So round one comes, I lose, body shots. Round two, I lose, body shots. Round three, I lose body shots. Round four, body shots, I lose. Round five, I lose body shots. I'm sitting there in the corner. He goes, hey, son, you're down zero to five rounds. 
but you have done exactly what we need to do. You're about 110 shots to the ribs. Stay the course. So I went out round six, and finally my man got tired of getting hit in the stomach. And all of a sudden, those hands went from here to here. I was never concerned with his body. All I was concerned with was his hands. Because when you give me your hands, now I have your face. He had won easily. Easily, six rounds. And now I got your face. And the race and the fight and the battle went a different direction very quickly when he could not raise his hands. The enemy does the exact same thing in our life. Your marriage, your finances, your health, your children, your job, your friendship, your kids, they're all body shots. They're all body shots. The face is your faith. Is your trust. Is your obedience. Is your discipline. It is your closeness with God. And when we drop those hands to try to protect everything that we want or everything that is hurting, when we lose faith in the everyday, when we try to hold on to our kids and hold on to our marriage and hold on to our money, when we drop those hands with the promises of Satan, he goes straight for what he came in the first place. And that is your faith. So the enemy looks at Jesus and he says to Jesus in the moment of his hunger, lower your hands. Lower your hands. Grab the bread. Loose faith that God the Father has provided everything you need. Church, lose faith that God has your marriage. Lose faith that he has provided a way. Lose faith that he loves you. Lose faith that he will take care of us in a chaotic world. Lose faith because when you do, I'm going to go after if he is even good. I will go after if he is even real. You lower your hands and you're going to see what the enemy is actually after. And it is not your body. It is not your kids. It is not your money. It is your face and it is your faith. But listen to how Jesus responds. He answered and said, it is written, hands still up. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is a great lesson for all of us. How does Jesus keep his hands up when he is taking shots to the body? He responds to temptation with scripture. He responds not out of emotion or what he has rationalized like Eve. He is not falling to sin or temptation. He responds to lies with truth. This is a beautiful teaching moment that I believe that this is why this story exists in the first place. We see this and go, man, was this a 50-50 toss-up? Which way is Jesus going to go? This story was never going to end with Jesus not being victorious. This is to teach you and I. And in this moment, you need to understand that you are not strong enough. 
that your marriage isn't solid enough, that your kids are not good enough, that you are not prepared or wise enough on your own. You need truth. You need scripture. You need the spirit. Learn from Eve. Learn by Jesus. The enemy whispered in Eve's ear and she took that hook. She took it. You know why? Because he knew what string to pull. He knew Eve. Please understand me. The enemy has been doing this way longer than you. He danced with Caesar. He looks Solomon in the eye. You think he's worried about you? You think he's up in heaven going, man, I don't really know what to do about Brad Douglas. He's given me a run for my money. He's walked with presidents and captains and sergeants and billionaires. He is all scheming, all clever, all creative, and he knows the exact string to pull for you and I to fall, you better have a plan because once you come out of those waters, you're now on the board. Right when Brock Martin says, hey, listen, I'm playing this game. I'm gonna live faithfully. The enemy's coming. What's next? Hardship. He is coming for that body. Because, man, your faith is up. You are saved. You got God's word. You love the church. And he is going to start chopping you down. And sooner or later, you're going to look on the shore and you're going to see that fish and go, man, I'm starving. Maybe if I cook it enough. I'll give it my Sunday. I'll give it my best. I'll auction my gifts. And the enemy says, I will trade you fortune for faith any day of the week. Look at verse five. Then the devil took him up, second attempt, continues to take body shots. And the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, then throw down, throw yourself down, for it is written, he's quoting scripture, Psalms 91, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And how did Jesus respond? Once again, temptation with truth, with scripture. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt your Lord, your God. Speaking of cleverness, the enemy quotes scripture to the one who wrote it. When he sees an opening, when he sees an opportunity, when he knows the desires of your heart, when he sees the tension of sliding to sin, when he sees weakness, when he sees hunger, like he will come at it and he will even use truth to distort and to confuse your mind. He will use any means necessary. Even what you are holding on to, he will use it to confuse you. Now listen to 8 through 10, it's a beautiful example of how Jesus ends this time with the enemy. Third attempt, more body shots. Again, the devil took him up, 
to an exceedingly high mountain. Man, he's drawing his straws. It's the last time, last round. Jesus has not dropped the hand. He's going to have to start waylaying the head, hoping he gets a shot in. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give you. Highlight that in your Bible, please. Last attempt, last ditch effort. Hail Mary. He said, all of these things I will give you if you will just fall down and worship me. If you will just fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve still hungry, still weak, still in want. And the enemy comes to Jesus in that moment and says, look out at all you can see. I will happily give you it all if you just bow down and worship me. In this third attempt by Satan, you get to see what he's actually after. He wasn't after bread. He wasn't after miracles. He was after his focus, his attention, his perfection, his allegiance, his obedience, his trust, his faith, his closeness to God. And what the enemy is after in Eve is what he was after in Jesus and what he's after in you. Now in this moment, guys, what we see in the enemy is I don't think that he's lying. I think that what we see in Scripture is maybe the only time in in all of the Bible that we see honesty in the enemy. I think when it comes to your life, the enemy will happily happily trade you fortune for faith. Happily. Man, if your heart seeks money, I will happily give it to you. If you want your kid to fit in and and be popular and, and to be on the highest pedestal, I'll happily give it to you. If you want health and you want safety and you want status, I will happily give it to you. Just give me your faith. Give me your trust. Give me your gifts. Give me your time. Give me it all, and I will give you what you seek. I want you to examine your life, church. What right now, take a second. What right now in your life do you see as good and enjoyable and fun and worthwhile? But in reality, it is actually taking you further away from God. But take a second. It can be a job. Man, we got to work. Amen for God giving you such an opportunity to do so. Provide for your family. Is it your kids? Is it your money? Is it your wife? Is it your hobby? Is it your health? Is it your mind? What in your life do you go, man, this has actually been fun. It's been enjoyable. It's a goal of mine. I like it. This is good stuff. How in your life have you lowered your hands? What did the enemy offer you? What did you give up for it? Like, what did you trade him? 
Did he promise you acceptance? Did he promise you popularity? Did he promise you money or happiness or status? Because hang on every word your pastor tells you. If you lower those hands to grab that bread, I promise you he's going to go after what he came for, and that is your face. And you might last six rounds taking body shots. You're not lasting rounds, six rounds taking shots to the face. And when the enemy starts going for your faith and your obedience and your trust, that is when life gets hard. Look at Job. There's a wonderful story about Satan's temptation of Job. What did Satan go after? Think about it. Did Satan come down to Job and say, Job, let's just have a really heart-to-heart. You're a very wise and smart man. You've experienced a lot of things. You're an entrepreneur. You've got a great business. You know good and bad. You ever really thought about, God, how crazy this story is? Is that what he said? Did he come to Job and go, hey, man, look at cancer and abuse and neglect and brokenness, like I'm not doing that. God's doing that. Like, how good is this guy? Did he do that? What did he do? He went after his body. He went after his kids. And he went after his wife. And he went after his friends. He went after his business. He went after his money. He went after his health. And he said, brother, drop those hands. Because when you do... I'm going after what I came for. And what he attempted with Job is what he's attempted with you. How do we keep the hands up? How do we stay faithful? Look at verse 11 as we close. And then the devil left him. And behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Christian, no matter if it is God's testing or if it's the enemy's temptation, the reality is there will be a day and moment that the bell rings. There will be a day where the round ends and there will be a moment where your corner will comfort you. There will be a moment where the angels and the Lord says enough is enough and I have protected you and I have sustained you and I have endured with you and I have not put you in spaces where I will ever abandon you. If you're a note taker, highlight and note take this. One, for my Christian, no truth. How do you keep your hands up? No truth. You are not ready without it. You are not strong enough without the church. Without the church, you are doing your family and yourself a disservice. You are running in the wilderness with no fellowship of the body. If you do not dedicate yourself to knowing Scripture, you won't be able to differentiate a lie and truth. You are going to literally walk down arenas of just regurgitated opinions of neighbors that live in your community. Know God's word. No truth. Two, have faith in the day-to-day. The enemy will go after your day to get to your heart. He will go from to your day. He will attack your marriage. He will attack your kids. He will promise good things. He will go after your day to go after your 
purpose. Have faith in the day-to-day. Be content in what you have. Do not ask for what you already own. Lastly, do not trade good for great. Do not trade good for great. You know, in that last Hail Mary, when it says, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Hang on this. I believe he's being honest. I believe he's being true. But it's still wrapped in distortion. It's still wrapped in confusion. It's still wrapped in a lie. Why? Because he's trying to give Jesus something that Jesus already owns. And the same applies to you. The enemy cannot give you anything that is not already yours in Christ. I am already rich. I am already loved. I am already accepted. I am already been given grace and mercy. I already have glory. I already have strength. I already have power. I already have family. I already have a father. There is nothing, there is nothing that the enemy can give you that you do not already have in Christ. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Keep your hands up, church. Keep your hands up. Know truth. Have faith in the day-to-day, and do not trade good for great. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray for our church. It is so easy to drop our hands. It is so easy to see destruction like Job or be tempted by blessings like Eve. We see the enemy is tempted in both ways. He's tempted and just relent. The enemy, I will follow you if you just ease up. I'm tired of sickness. I'm tired of stress. I'm tired of dysfunction. I will give you what you asked for. But we see in Eve, you, you tempted her with what would seem to be good things. Just eat the food. Make it bread. Give me your trust. Give me your faith. Give me your obedience. Give me your closeness. That is what he's after. God, I know for every Christian in here, we will have spiritual battles that our minds don't even comprehend. There are things going on within this church right this second for the people that are sitting in here that call themselves born-again believers in Christ. There are things that are happening in their life. They are taking body shots. Some of them realize it, and some of them don't. Lord, I pray for the endurance and the stamina provided by your Holy Spirit. I I pray that that we provide them the equipping to lean on the Spirit and lean on the church and lean on Scripture to combat lies with truth. I pray that we don't trade the greatness in what it is to be a Christian for the goodness or what seems to be good of this world. Lord, I pray that you keep our hands up. Keep our hands up. 
for all things that are our good and your glory. And the church says, amen.